The Old Testament reading this morning is taken from Genesis, chapter 10, <coughs> beginning at verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Medai, Yavan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rifat, and Tugama. The sons of Yavan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kitim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havila, Sabta, Rehemar, and Sabtika. The sons of Rehemar, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Resen between Nineveh and Kala, that is, the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtuhim, Patrusim, Kazlehim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemarites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed. And the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim as far as Laisha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Alphaxad, Lud and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hal, Githa, and Mash. Aphaxas fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Yoktan. Yoktan fathered Almodad, Shelef, Hezameveth, Jira, Hadoram, Uzal, Dila, Obel, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havila, and Yobab. All these were the sons of Yoktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Misha in the direction of Sifa to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations, 
and from these the nation spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Thanks, Julia. That was absolutely brilliantly done. Aren't you glad, aren't you, glad you weren't doing the reading this morning? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you, what you made of that as we read through. I think, actually, as I, as I read through it a, a week or so ago in preparation, uh, starting preparation for uh, this morning, I have to say my initial thought was, why didn't I put Ben Price on preaching this morning? <laughs> that was a missed opportunity. Ah. Oh. But if you ever wondered whether we believe all of the Bible is God's word here at church, the fact that we're tackling this passage this morning is evidence of that. That's what we believe. But it's not easy to understand, granted. Uh, so let's pray for the Lord's help as we uh, dig into this. Father God, we, uh, we thank you for your word and we thank you that all of it is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So please help us to understand these words, difficult though they might be. And by your Spirit, please be doing that kind of work, training us for righteousness in our hearts and minds this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd just like to uh, do a little quick survey. Um, wonder if anybody here has written uh, a song. Hands up if you've written a song at any point in, in your life. Yeah, got one, one or two actually. That, less than I thought. I didn't think there'd be many, but there's, that's maybe even less than I thought. And, and fair play to you if you've uh, written a song. But there's some songs that you come across, don't you, or, or, or I do, and I think, oh, come on, that can't be too difficult. Like, like do you know the song, He's Got the Whole World in his hands. I mean, some of you know that. If you, if you don't know that song, then congratulations, well done for surviving this song with, uh, dis without discovering it. But if you've been a Christian in the UK for any length of time, then you will have sung it at some point, I, I, I'm sure. You, you know how it goes. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's a, that's a strong first line, isn't it? That is a great start. I mean, you know, so, but, but you know, how do you follow that one up? It's, it's, it, how do you... He's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah, it's so good. Just do it again. Oh, come on, come on. We need a third line. We need a third line. What, what could it possibly be? He's got the whole world. Yeah, join him with me in his hands. And then, come on, come on. One line just to finish it off. He's got the whole world in his hands. Thank you. Played along way better than I thought you might. Uh, uh, it's a, it, it, oh, and then we can just write, oh, jinx, what can we do next? How can we? We can just write endless verses now. He's got the boys and the girls in his hands. He's got the mummies and the daddies in his He's got everyone in his hands. I mean, seriously. I, I mean, do you see what I mean? I, you, I, even I feel like I could have written that. But actually, that song, I think, is the message of Genesis 10. And though it's simple, a simple truth, it has massive implications for our lives. And it is worthy of repeating over and over and over again. A man called John saw a vision in Revelation 7. Catherine read it for us earlier on, didn't she? John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Just think of the biggest crowd you've ever been in. 
you know, maybe it was a concert or a, a sporting event of some, some sort. That was small fry compared to this. This is way, way bigger. Millions, billions of people from every nation. It is so beautifully diverse. No country is missing or has remained unreached. And they're all standing before the Lamb. That's Jesus. This is where all of human history is heading. To this moment when people from every nation will stand before the throne of God, worshipping King Jesus. He has got the whole world in his hands. And I think Genesis 10 is in the Bible to show us that this is where all that starts. It's to show us that when God says every nation, he really does mean every nation. It's to blow our mind and expand our horizon about the plans that God has for this world. You've probably got some plans, I'm sure, for your life. And maybe you're interested in getting God involved in those plans. But can I just gently say that that really isn't the way to think about God. It's not that God isn't concerned or interested in your plans, but he is much, much more concerned in you discovering what you were created for as you find your place in his plans. So do have Genesis 10 open in front of you. And and there in verse 1, we find the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, And what follows here is not simply a family tree that flows from these guys, but it's actually a table of nations. First up, we've got the Japhethites in verses 2 to 5, who I think we should call the distant nations. When it says that these guys lived in the coastlands in verse 5, that could be translated as as they were the maritime peoples, Uh, as they were actually people who got in boats and they spread out from the coast. In fact, they spread out so far that when you look for them in the rest of the Bible, they're hardly mentioned at all. Praise the Lord for Bible Gateway for enabling me to discover that this week. It would have been a a lot harder to figure that out without Bible Gateway. And so the Israelites, the first people actually who read Genesis, as they read this list, they would have kind of gone, who are they? I've never heard of them. Although there might be one name that we recognize, if we know our Bibles well, verse 4. See if you can spot it. It's Tarshish. Just think, where, where, if you've read your Bible for, where have you come across that before? Well, if you've read the book of Jonah, you'll know that Jonah tried to run away to Tarshish. God said, go this way. Preach to the people in Nineveh. And Jonah went in totally the opposite direction to Tarshish. Why? Because it was on the coast. It was the gateway to the distant nations where people set off in their boats from. That's the point. This list stands for nations that spread out a distance far away from God and his presence with his people who don't know him and aren't seeking after him. By nature, when something is more distant from us, it's harder to care about it, isn't it? Things that happen on our doorstep matter a lot to us, but the further and further things get away from us, the less and less we care. But here is God saying, you know the distant nations? I care about them. They matter to me. I've got a plan for the distant nations. I'm going to gather them to my throne to worship Jesus. 
How, how, how is he going to do that? Here's how. He's going to whistle. Seriously. <laughs> Have a look at Isaiah 5, verse 26. He lifts up, that's God, he lifts up a banner for the distant nations. He whistles for those at the ends of the earth. Here they come, swiftly and speedily. What is God's plan for the distant nations? We read these names and they seem so irrelevant to us, so unnecessary even. But God says, I have not forgotten them. I know them by name. I've written them in my book. So I will whistle for them. I will call them to myself. And in John chapter 12, Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And then as he was lifted up on a cross days later, that is when God's banner was lifted up. That is when he whistled as he started gathering people from every nation to himself. God is so passionately concerned for the distant nations. So here's the challenge. I think we have a tendency sometimes to have a drawbridge mentality. We could become very obsessed with our little patch, our, our own little place. If you were here in the evening service last week, you might have hear, heard Ray, our guest speaker who had with us, talking about how when a, the longer a church goes on, the more inward looking it becomes. It's as if we're a castle, and, and, and once we've got the people that we care about, the people we like hanging out with, the, uh, the people we feel we've got enough room for, we, we want to pull up the drawbridge and leave it at that. We have way too small a vision for what God is doing sometimes, don't we? Way too small. The world is a big place, and people are spread out all over it. And if our God is the God who loves the distant nations, then we have to let him push our drawbridge down. Maybe for us that might start by stepping out of our comfort zones actually here at church and speaking to people who we don't normally speak to on a Sunday morning. The Lord has brought many from places that we might consider distant nations into our church family. And I want to encourage you again to adopt one of the mission partners that we support as a church and, and support them yourself in prayer, in giving, as we heard in the giving review. And also maybe in going too. Like when you go on holiday, I know not everybody could do this, but when you go on holiday, perhaps you could go on holiday close to where one of our mission partners is, so you can pop in on them, be a blessing to them. Or maybe you could go on a short-term mission trip for a, for a fortnight. There's loads of opportunities out there. Maybe for a fortnight, maybe for a month, maybe six months even. You could give yourself to that and get a feel for what God is doing in the distant nations. And I'm pretty sure that there will be some of us here who... God is already putting it on your heart, that sense, oh, maybe one day God might call me to go full-time to the nations. And if that's you, I want to say, don't ignore that. Don't keep putting it off and putting it off, putting it off. No, explore it. Pursue it. Come speak to myself, Ben, Mahini, and, and, and let us pray that through with you. We need 
senders, supporters, we need goers, but we all have a part to play in God's great plan. We all need to be involved. Whatever it is, oh Lord, please Lord, would you stir in us a passion for reaching the nations, a passion like yours for all the nations. Not just the Japhethites, but the Hamites too. Because when we get to the descendants of Ham, the tone suddenly changes. We now go from don't know them, don't know them, don't know them, to oh, oh yeah, I know them. As here we encounter the enemy nations. And that was a few weeks ago we were last in Genesis, but you might remember if you hear then that Ham shamed and exposed his father and brought a curse on himself and his descendants. And so from the sons of Ham, in verse 6, there came Egypt. Oh, yes, we know Egypt. The first readers of this, actually, they would have said, yeah, that's where we were enslaved. (laughs) That powerful nation which oppressed and enslaved us for their own gain. Canaan, that's the land that they're standing on the edge of as they read these words, about to enter full of the Canaanites who sacrificed their children to idols and so many other wicked things they did. And the list goes on. In this list, you have Assyria in verse 10, the nation which hundreds of years later would become the superpower that would rise up and threaten God's people. They're all here. It's like a who's who of the enemies of God and his people in the Bible. Nineveh, the Philistines, then all the ites down in verse 16, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Termites. Sorry, it doesn't say Termites, but it, it kind of reads, I feel like, a list of, of, kind of, of some kind of pest controllers list, hit list. But all these nations were opposed to the Lord God and, and would cause great pain and harm to God's people through the rest of the Old Testament. And in the midst of them, there's Nimrod standing tall and proud in verse 8. I have to say as a preacher, when you get to Nimrod, it's just like, oh, such a relief. Oh, finally, some narrative, something to cling on to. But Nimrod raises some questions. Is he a goodie or a baddie? I mean, you look at verse 9, you go, well, well, he's a mighty hunter. We're told twice he's a mighty hunter. Surely being before the Lord is a good thing, isn't it? Well, yes. But the surrounding evidence shows us that he was clearly involved in a ridiculous vanity project. Verse verse 10, establishing his kingdom. As he built the Tower of Babel on the plains of Shinar. We're going to look at that next week. (laughs) And we we could go through the rest of his CV and it doesn't look any better. And then to top it all off, the name Nimrod means we will rebel. Oh yes, we will rebel. So we're not supposed to look at Nimrod being before the Lord as a positive thing, but a negative thing, I think. It has a sense of defiance. Let me give you a slightly contentious but hopefully example. When my Liverpool football team were playing Newcastle United a few weeks ago, everyone was predicting a Newcastle win because Liverpool had been so terrible this season. But surprisingly, Newcastle didn't win. It was a Liverpool win, 2-0. So I could have come to church the next day and said to all my Newcastle supporting brothers who've been giving me a hard time all season, I could have said, in your face. 
But I didn't, because I am no longer a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> I kind of am, which is actually why that felt quite good. <laughs> but that would have been a defiant thing to do, wouldn't it? And I think the picture here is of Nimrod standing before the Lord, shaking his fist in God's face in open, blatant rebellion against him. And yet it also shows us that God sees it. He sees Nimrod. He sees the opposition. Remember, he's got the whole world in his hands. So just like, and just like every single power-hungry ruler who would come after him, who would make their stand against God, they will rightly be held to account by him for their defiance. So if you've got an enemy, an enemy of God, an enemy of yours, don't fear, he has got all of our enemies in his hands. That wasn't a verse I remember singing in that song, but it is true. But hold on, wait a second. We've got a problem. Uh, you may not have a problem, but, but if you've still got Revelation 7 in your mind, you might have a problem. What did it say? That there will be a day when people from every nation, every nation, will stand before the throne of God and worship Jesus, which means that God's plan for the animations isn't just punishment. And we know that because what did God do in the great enemy city of Nineveh, mentioned in verse 11, hundreds of years later, he sent Jonah to Nineveh so that by God's great compassion, they might be saved. This is what our God is like. Our God is a God who loves even his enemies, who saves his enemies, who would send his very own precious son to die for his enemies so that his enemies might become his friends. What an incredible God we worship. And I think the challenge for us as we try and feel the weight of this is that it means that no one is too far and no one is too bad to be saved by King Jesus. I mean, you might be sitting here this morning thinking, oh, if God knew what I'd done, if he knew the defiance that is still lurking in my heart, if he knew the, knew the coldness that I feel towards him, he would not, never want anything to do with me. But he does know. He knows. He sees what's in your heart. And yet, he still does want you. All of us by nature are enemies of God. And yet his heart yearns for us, breaks for us. So much so that he would send his son to die for us. And in Jesus, <laughs> he says to us, Come. Come now, follow me. Be like me. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I, I wonder, folks, how do we treat our enemies? How do we think about them? How do we speak about them? I wonder if there's someone in your life this morning of whom you might think, oh, if only I didn't have to deal with that irritation. With that, with that opposition, then my life would be so much better. But what if God has placed that person 
in your life in order to drive you to your knees that you might pray for them. Oh, Father, give me a heart like yours for them. Oh, Father, please save them in your kindness that you might learn to be more like Jesus and to have his heart for the nations. And then finally, we come to the chosen nation. And that's where we get to the descendants of Shem. To the Israelites, the first readers of this, they would have said, this is our nation. Now they're reading about themselves. So when it says in verse 21 that Shem was the father of all the children of Eber, that word Eber is where we get the word Hebrew from. So these are the, the Hebrews, the Hebrew nation, or at least the start of them. So how is God going to whistle to call the distant nations to himself? He is going to do it through this chosen nation, through this people, the descendants of Shem. And these names, they keep getting repeated over and over again uh, throughout the Bible until we discover in Luke 3 that some of these names feature in the family tree of Jesus. This is the line that leads to Jesus. It will be from this family line that he comes. And it's through Jesus that nations will be gathered and God's enemies will be reconciled as friends. Now I recognize that at first sight, an enemy nation, I'm sorry, a, a chosen nation might sound pretty elitist to us. But when you understand why they were chosen, suddenly it doesn't sound elitist at all. Let me show you. I have here a very big box of Cadbury's Heroes. And I'm going to give this to someone. I'm going to give this to Kate Charnley. And I'm going to say to Kate, Kate, you are the chosen one. <laughs> That's not all I'm going to say to Kate. I'm going to say to Kate, could you please take these and share them around with everyone? Thank you. Good. Not now, though, okay? We don't have time for that, okay? <laughs> do it over tea and coffee. That's a, that's a genuine instruction. Um, but but do, you, do you see there? there um, suddenly, how, see how the chosen thing changes with the bit that I added on after you're the chosen one? Now, if Kate just took those uh, chocolates and just sat in a corner and stuffed her face, you know, we'd be going, no, Kate, that, that's not why. You were, what you were chosen for. You were chosen so that everyone could have chocolate. And, and that's what we talk about when we say that God's people are a chosen people. We're not chosen so we can just sit in the corner with our feet up, stuffing our face with God's blessings. No, we're chosen so that everyone can know. And therefore, to be chosen should never pop, puff us up with pride. Oh, God forbid that we would ever become proud. If you're a Christian here this morning, he has chosen you because he wants you to be part of his work to rescue the nations so that through you, many people might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps some of us actually this morning, we, we've pulled back from that and we need to 
stop sitting in a corner with our feet up, stuffing our faces with God's blessing. And we need to start sharing those blessings around. And the next month is a great month for us to do that here at church in the run-up to Easter. There's so many fantastic opportunities. So why, why can't we be praying? Let's be praying. Heavenly Father, please, would you help me to share some of this good news of Jesus with someone else? Maybe make a list of five, ten people to pray for an opportunity with. That is the surprising, amazing message of Genesis chapter 10. I love this. I was distant from God, but God sent Jesus to whistle and call me back. I was an enemy of God, but he sent Jesus to reconcile me, to make me his friend. And I have been chosen by God to be part of his plan to save the nations. He has got the whole world in his hands. And one day, through Christ at work in us, people from every nation and every tribe and language and culture will stand before the throne of God and worship Him. So, let's do that now. Let's worship Him in song. We're going to stand and we're going to sing together a song that reminds us of just how this is such great news for the nations.